What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. We had on the program the state chair of USAPL Virginia, Saber Schnitzer, and he takes us inside some of the most highly produced meats in the USAPL. If you guys have not checked out USAPL Virginia's meats, you must do so right now. Follow them on Instagram and check out those meats. I know we talk a lot about a Virginia winter record on Two White Lights, and as far as production goes, those meats are A1. They're almost a gold standard as far as a local meat or a state meat goes. And Sabre does a fantastic job of taking us inside that and also developing a little bit of a how-to on how to run a really efficient meat. Because not only do his meats look very good, look very appealing, be aesthetically pleasing to the audience, a spectator-friendly meat, they're also very efficient with how they run. So he gives a Excellent insight on that, and he also gives a lot of insight on that pro meet that he's doing in December, a possible game changer in the USAPL. We talked about the idea of a pro division. Larry Malley, the president of the USAPL, talked about the idea of a pro division that was brought up at the national board meeting. A lot of lifters want to see it. I think he gives a bit of a blueprint how this can happen, at least on the state level, because lots of money is being given out this meet that he's doing in December. He's got the pro invitation in October. Gives us a business plan of that. Steve and I ask questions on how to make it sustainable. Some questions we have on how to make it better from the beers that we've seen in the past as far as his meats go. He takes feedback and excellent. So this is a fantastic episode. If you're a future meat director, if you're a meat director, or if you really just like information on highly produced meats and really well-ran meats. Because I think these type of meats are going to build the sport the most. And Saber provides a terrific, terrific insight on that. But... Before we get into this interview, got to talk to you guys about Leflar Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, go to leflarbros.com, follow them on Instagram, and check out the merchandise. They have the best powerlifting merchandise in the sport, and also they come out with new designs, they come out with new ideas. They do not get lazy, and that's what I love. A lot of times these companies get a little lazy with their designs, they don't release anything. That's not Leflar Bros. Everything they release looks amazing. You're going to look good in the gym, you're going to look good outside the gym, you're going to look good on the platform as well because they have all the merchandise you need whether you're in the gym or outside of the gym and you're going to use that promo code 2WL15 the best promo code in powerlifting to save yourself some money on Leflar Bros merchandise also they're coming out with new dad hats I, I cannot be more excited for that I love dad hats and they also have two white lights merchandise on LeflarBros.com where he also made those dad hats that you see so two white lights dad hats two white lights merchandise we got a lot of tea designs on leftlarbros.com, and you can use that same promo code 2WL15 to save yourself 15% off of your order for Left Lar Bros merchandise and Two White Lights merchandise. Also, go to rivalist.net and get yourself some Rival Nutrition. Rival Nutrition is an informed choice. That means there's no banned substances in any of their supplements, and that is important for your USAPL lifters because you don't want to take anything that can get you a suspension or a ban, and Rival Nutrition will help you do that. Pre-workout, brand-chain amino acids, protein powders, whatever you want, they got it. Informed choice supplements, rival nutrition, use promo code ANGELO20 to save yourself some money. That is ANGELO20 to save yourself some money. Also, go to lift.net and get yourself some stoic gear. I see more and more people wearing stoic gear, and only one reason is because it is the best. Stoic gear, their knee sleeves especially are the best knee sleeves out of the market, and they're the most affordable. And while you're at it, get yourself a singlet and wrist wraps as well. I only use Stoic Gear in the gym on the platform, and that's because I love it more than any other brand. 
Use promo code ANGELO10. Save yourself some money when you get Stoic Gear on lift.net. Also, make sure you're getting Notorious Lift No Slip Drip Slippers. Follow them on Instagram. Sign up on a newsletter. Check out the colorways. Not color waves. Colorways. Because you're going to find something that you love. And you sign up for that newsletter, you get the head start on that drop. Because if you go on NotoriousLift.com, you can't just buy whatever design or colorways that you want. It doesn't work that way. you got to be on the lookout for the drops, and the drops sell out quick. People love the slippers. They're great for deadlifts. They look even better. And you don't want to miss out on an opportunity to get yourself some no-slip-drip slippers. Remember, sign up for the newsletter. Follow them on Instagram as well. Also, Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Spotify, leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, leave a review as well. Those help Two White Lights a whole lot. And without further ado, here it is, Two White Lights. And as promised, we have the state chair from Virginia. And before we start, we have a song prepared for you. I'm going to play it and listen in, and hopefully, you enjoy it. Saber. 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 First name is Saber, as you know. Last name is Schnitzer. I am Norwegian German from Heritage. All right. Well, we kept on going into a debate, me and Steve, on how to pronounce that uh, name. I was saying Sabre. He was saying Saber. But Saber is a much cooler name than Sabre. I would agree, but I've heard every mispronunciation. The only reason I, I got as big as I was because the grammar school kids started making fun of it, and I just would beat the shit out of them. So. <laughs> Well, are you? I, I demanded that we play this because I'm such a huge Office fan. Are you an Office fan? Have you heard that before? Uh, my daughter actually watches it religiously, time and time and time again. I'm not that big of a fan. I'm more into like a Breaking Bad and things like that. Got it. Well, that's a clip from The Office because the, the company that bought them out was called Saber, and they kept pronouncing it wrong. So I guess <laughs> I knew it was your name was Saber, but I just I just I just had to as a loyal Office fan that I felt that that was a needed addition to the podcast today. So um, yeah. Uh, Angela, now we should probably get serious. <laughs> yeah, we should, uh, because we got actually a lot to talk about, because if everyone, I think who listens to Two White Lights knows the amazing job USAPL Virginia has done with powerlifting and getting people interested in the meets, the production values of the state meet is amazing, the Virginia winter record, something we talked about at great lengths on Two White Lights, and uh, this is the person responsible for it, so 
we have some really interesting developments with your uh, suggestion and the plan of a pro meet in Virginia, so we're going to definitely talk about that. But before we get into that, I just got to know, how did you really get your way into powerlifting? I know you earlier said, you know, you beat the shit out of kids, so I'm assuming that's how you kind of got your weightlifting in the uh, in early. But how did you get your way into powerlifting and then kind of grow it into that state here position? Sure. Okay, so... Uh, both my wife and I were former Marine. When she popped out her second kid around 2004, I got out because I had the more lucrative skill. Now, one of the first things that Marines do once they retire or they get out is they put on 80 pounds. And I was just like, not me. Uh, I have two daughters now, and that means eventually boyfriends. So I got to pick a sport that's going to keep me in shape and be able to like just intimidate the fuck out of any boyfriends that come watch, you know, walking in the door. So... Back in 2004, I was a gym rat. Uh, happened to be at a uh, army base where they had a powerlifting competition. So I said, "Well, I'll just give it a try." And coincidentally enough, I destroyed the competition. From there, uh, you know, started to get a little bit more serious in it. Uh, went to a USPA or whatever that was, USPF uh, competition way back when. Destroyed it. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to take over the world. And then when I uh, went to USPF Nationals, thinking that I was just going to destroy everything, I bombed out on the squat because I couldn't get deep enough. And I'm like, all right, well, need to reset. So I actually um, got in touch with a couple world-class lifters in Brooklyn. Uh, Ellen Stein was my first mentor who was just wonderful. She completely tore me down, uh, built me back up, taught me techniques like, I was a 405 max bencher back then in the 220 class. And within about nine months, working on triceps and shoulders, I was doing 515. So it's like, all right, let's make a, let's make a, a good shot at this. And that's where she recommended, look, you know, you've been a Marine, you've never done drugs, you're clean, uh, go the USA powerlifting route because that's really the premier standard. So I started competing in uh, Virginia, or I'm sorry, Pennsylvania meets. Uh, Elliot, um, was actually my first, uh, chief referee at the first meet I did. And then I competed for about, I'd say about 12 years, finished up with two firsts in nationals, uh, in, uh, somewhat consecutive years. But the problem was at all of those meets, except for the national level meets, they sucked. I mean, the, the announcer was holding a microphone with the door of the Explorer, uh, you know, speaker, and it was just horrible. The, the, the crowds were dead. The music was non, just not there. You know, the, the spotters, they were just kind of lackadaisical and whatnot, and it was just miserable. It's like, you want me to squat 600, 700 pounds in this? You're insane. So... Fast forward to about 2016, 2017, I'm kind of ramping down from competing. And I live in Manassas, Virginia, which is just a suburb of D.C. And frankly, it sucks. All the gyms around here were Gold's Gym, you know, all that kind of crap. No music, no chalk, no bags, no gear, no nothing. And I officiated at a high school uh, state championships at a Catholic school and just out of the blue, a lifter comes up to me and hands me a business card of this gym that's opening in Manassas. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And, you know, I just pocketed it. But then about three weeks later, I was sitting in a layover, pulled out the card, and I called the owner. 
Jason Albrecht uh, opened up a specialty gym in Manassas, Virginia, my hometown. This gym catered to powerlifters, bodybuilders, and fitness athletes. And when I met this guy, his business plan and his vision absolutely blew me away. But my first response to him was, look, dude, this is Manassas. You're not going to be in business in six months. But, you know, the facility and the, the people that were there were amazing. I mean, I had lived in Manassas for over 10 years. Powerlifting was dead. Bodybuilders were, there was just, there was no scene whatsoever. And this guy comes along with his business partner and opens a specialty gym in Manassas. I was like, this is amazing. The women are amazing. They're, they're doing photo shoots on the weekends. It's like, look, you know, I'm getting to the, the later stages in my life where I want to give back. So I'm going to do whatever I can to help you keep this place open. Because this is a whole lot better than lifting in my garage. So um, I contacted the Virginia State Chair at that time, Sean Dutzman, and said, hey, could you possibly swing some meats down in our direction? And coincidentally enough, he said, well, I'm about to give up the position. I'm moving out of state. Would you be interested? I said, I didn't know. I had no idea what it was to be a state chair or even run a meet. But I thought about it after a couple of days and I called him back and I said, yeah, I'll take it. And with that, you know, I got appointed back in 2018, I think. And Sean, you know, packed up because he had another job in another state and he moved down. So the turnover was extremely brief. And, you know, he left me with two USAPL pop-ups. And I wasn't aggravated at that point because a lot of what I'd seen at the state level really just didn't do it for me. So with no turnover, I said, I'm going to do this the way that I would want to want it to be done, you know, at the local level. And as a side note, and anybody that knows me knows that I'm an anal perfectionist, overachiever, asshole, micromanager. So from a meat perspective... And the beauty about the shop gym crew is that they let me come in and do whatever I wanted. And I sent in my state chair SOP to show you some pictures, how it evolved over time. I started very small. And really at that first meet, um, buying all my equipment was about $24,000 to buy everything, the racks, the plates, banners, and things like that. I started very small. And I put a methodology into place where every meet I was going to try three new things. But at that first meet, you know, there were a couple things that I absolutely needed to implement. And that was quality officiating, quality spotting, and hellaciously loud music. Where even to this day, someone will walk, walk, uh, will walk up to me at every meet and say, hey, Saber, the music's kind of loud. Can you do anything about it? So I'm, yeah, yeah. Out in the parking lot, it's a little bit quieter. <laughs> so just go out there. Because I will never turn down the music. Even for the bench, sometimes we just, we just make the referees scream louder. But... We started off very small, very simple, but for every meet, we implemented something new and new, 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 and the interest started to increase. Uh, We started throwing in some, you know, unique features like 2018 winner record. I gave away combo racks and via lottery, and it's not a lottery that I sold to spectators. This wasn't a cash grab by any stretch. Every competitor that came in got a lottery ticket. And at the end of the meet, we gave away, we gave away two uh, Texas Strength System combo racks to ensure that they only went to lifters, not to somebody that would just you know, happen to drive in and would just turn around and sell it. And it was so cool that we did the same thing at 
But uh, subsequently, we tried to get better. Now, implementing new things, trying new things, always trying to improve the competitor's experience because you have, you know, great competitors, but, you know, gym lifts are just that. They're gym lifts. Unless you do it in a meet, it's not real. Now, my bench, you know, in a, in a meet is nothing compared to my, well, my, my competition best bench is nothing compared to my gym best bench. That's just how it works. So we, we really fought to increase the, the lifter experience and then really got into the spectator experience as well. Mm-hmm. So things like implementing stage lighting, theater lighting, theater sound. Um, you know, wall-to-wall banners where you really constricted the view of the spectator to the platform. The spectators couldn't see all the bullshit that was going on in warm-up and, you know, lifters getting hit by the coaches and all that kind of stuff. We kept it very professional, very clean. And with the lifters, or with the music blasting, you know, the whole way. But, you know, in 2018, we did like 10 meets or 12 meets uh, in a single year. And side note, I'm the only meet director. Uh, when people saw what I was doing, they're like, well, we don't want to have any part of this. It's a huge effort. So even like the Iron Asylum guys down in Virginia Beach, they're like, Saber, hey, we were running meets. You take them now. Because the passion, the perfection that I put into these competitions to make sure that everything runs perfectly, is it, it's a capability that I have uh, as a person. I have the time and resources to put in where a lot of other meat directors, no disrespect for anyone else, uh, just don't have the time. Whereas, you know, a typical competition, the meat director rolls in at about, you know, six o'clock in the evening on a Friday, spends a couple hours setting up, runs a small meet on Saturday and everyone goes home and kind of forgets about it. Mm-hmm. Um, at my home gym, at the shop gym, I would roll in at about Tuesday and spend about 12 to 18 hours a day setting up a venue where everything was perfect. Everything was set up by me uh, so that, you know, scoring was immediate. There was never any delay in scoring. Um, the awards, 30 seconds after the last deadlift hit the floor, the awards started going. There was never any delay or, you know, something that would screw up the lifter's preparation time. People still ask me, and I laugh every time. It's like, Sabre, what time is the meet is going to start? It's like 9 o'clock. It starts at 9 o'clock every single time. Plan your warm-ups to that note. And uh, salaries, for example, the referees, the spotters, the announcers, everyone gets paid. You know, I worked 10 years as a state referee, never made a dime. Now everyone gets paid. And when they know they can count on me to provide, you know, T-shirts for the spotters, Decent salary. I'm up to about $100 base minimum per day per uh, volunteer. But the spotters uh, are all trained by me. You know, I have a Zoom recording session up there that they can watch on how to spot at Virginia Meets. And we do some things that no other state does. Why? Well, because I'm not status quo. There was no turnover. So when I implement something at a Virginia competition, I read the rule book. Uh, I see if it can be done, and then I do it. I don't ask for anybody's approval. So the referees, when I took over, I pretty much fired all current referees because I realized that as a state referee, when I took the national exam, I didn't know shit. I mean, I thought I knew everything, and it just wasn't there. 
So memorizing the rule book, uh, training all of my new state referees, training my spotters, training my scores, eventually got to the point where uh, we're like, what are we going to do now? We've implemented new things. We've evolved. What can we do now? And one thing that always bugged me was that the national office had these great, huge video walls. And I'm like, I'm a graphic artist person uh, by, you know, original trade. I don't do it now, but I dabble in it. But it's like, I want a video wall. So uh, after meeting uh, with one of the USAPL or the USA Powerlifting Bench uh, World Team members, he pointed me in the direction of the company that rents the national office's video walls. So I contacted them, got a quote, was kind of high, did a Google Maps search, found a local company that rented video walls, and I brought them in for the winter record uh, 2020. And it was amazing. The meet was just huge. We had 224 lifters over two days. Uh, we had instant replays on the walls. Everybody loved it. Uh, it was, it, and after that first rental, uh, the shop gym and I, we just turned around and bought it. So now we're in the process of buying our second wall so that these, these things will be standard or are standard already at every, uh, pretty much every Virginia competition. But, you know, going back to the beginning, the whole point was, you know, my experience at the state level really just wasn't that fun. Uh, it wasn't motivating. And if I took over, what could I do to make this engrossly motivational so that lifters would really put on their best? And that's what I did. Virginia's growth has been, you know, well, other than COVID, spectacular. Mm -hmm. uh, before I started running meets, you know, how many great lifters were in the area? Little to none. And now look at what we've got. We've got Ashton. We've got Samantha Calhoun. We've got Daniela. We've got um, Connor Brooker. We've got Charlie Yang. I mean, all of these lifters, I'm not saying that I, I did this. No, it's not about that. All I provided was the platform for these lifters to come out, experience, you know, catch the bug, and then start growing. And what my competitions did was allow people to set an annual training plan. Like, all right, Sabre just released his training plan for 2021. I'm going to compete in February, then I'm going to compete in July, and then I'm going to blow it out at the, the holiday havoc in December. And providing those services on a pretty routine basis allows these lifters to train, grow, get better, experience the other lifters that are there, and become you know better than they, what they thought they'd be. And what's cool about these meets, and something that I did not ever expect, is the participation at winter wrecker uh 2018 we had competitors coming in from 17 states at the novice open back in september i had four lifters fly in from hawaii they weren't on the same team they flew in to see what the hell is all this virginia talk all about mm -hmm. and they were so impressed that after the meet, they sat with me for like an hour and a half asking what they could do to bring these type of meets to uh, to Hawaii. But, you know, every meet, I've got people coming up from North Carolina, South Carolina, down from uh, New York, uh, a steady flow from New York, but just from all over the place because they know the quality of product that they're going to get in Virginia 
really is second to none. So the lifters in my meets, when they go to nationals, it's like, oh, okay, you know, same kind of thing, yeah. same kind of vibe. It's not like, oh my God, look at nationals. Like, well, you know, Virginia has this stuff too. So I've been talking for a little while. What questions you got? What other comments? Yeah, I would have to definitely agree with you on that. And it sounds like you have the personality to kind of make that work. Because whenever I see a successful meet director, they have some of the tributes you have. I think you've actually taken it a step higher, though, because you have to, first and foremost, have the right crew there in order to have a well-functioning meet where it ends on time or where it starts on time, where the judges are strict but fair. You have good spotters and loaders. But then you took it a step further with the production value, and I think that's where people really get appreciative of the efforts is that big production value that you see. And, yeah, like you said, with your Virginia winter record, I've seen so many lifters from different states have an interest in that meet. They saw the highlights on Instagram. They saw the highlights uh, just throughout social media. And it's like, that's the type of meet I want to compete at because the competition's high. And because the competition's high is simply due to the fact that it's a great meet that they want to compete in. And when the competition's high, you're going to get a lot of people from different states interested in doing that meet. Um so yeah, I could I could definitely see what you're saying, and it looks like the uh, trajectory is there. Um, Steve, what were your thoughts? So I kind of leading question from here because I already know the answer to this. I already assume I know the answer that yes, this is sustainable. But from an outside perspective looking in, it's like how is this happening? Like how did how did these things be able to come together that you could actually within a two to three year period have access to all this stuff put on these meets? I mean that's that's been the issue with a lot of like the money meets, especially on like the untested side is they happen for two or three years and they disappear because like they just can't sustain. So like, what have you done that has actually made this a sustainable uh, system? Okay, that's a great question. And I pretty much have a unique answer. Um, I make a really good salary during my day job. I'm very good at what I do, basically computer security for the U.S. government kind of thing. Um, and it took me 30 years to get here, so I make a good salary. And then around the 2017 perspective, you know, the taxes that I was paying annually, like $150,000, were just like, oh, my God, this is just killing me. Uh, and not that I really like them, but, you know, following the, tr the Trump model, all of my meets that I execute on, I don't try to make a profit. In fact, I try to lose money because these are just all business losses uh, that I claim. And I would rather be paying my money to lifters than the U.S. government. So from a sustainment perspective, it's, it's kind of unique because I've lost anywhere from twenty-five dollars to $35,000 a year running meets. But I would not change a thing because, you know, this is my way, this is my philanthropy, really, of giving back to a lifter community that I didn't have coming up. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 52, I think, right now, almost 52. Uh, and this is my vacation from a day job where I'm clicking on a keyboard, looking at Visio maps, and network diagrams, and all these reports. Running meets is my vacation, is my way of giving back to a community that I thoroughly understand. It is not a sustainable model for someone that is not in the position that I am at. Um, and like I said, no disrespect for the other meet members. Uh, meet directors because that's what they do. That's what they, they want to do. A lot of lifters don't want all the, the lights and the spectacle and the pressure. You know, when you step on that platform and the spotlights just come down on you, 
That is not an environment that every lifter wants to experience. But from what I have seen, a lot of lifters do. So it's not really sustainable from uh, someone else's perspective unless they're willing to just throw a ton of money at this. Uh, But it is my way of giving back to a community. And I just got reelected for another three years as the Virginia State Chair, so I'm not going anywhere soon. If you've seen any of my recent Facebook posts, you know, we'll talk about the pro division shortly, but I eventually want to get to a point where it's like an Oprah Winfrey show where, you know, the best lifter gets handed a set of keys and, you know, your new car is parked out front. You know, something like that where, you know, powerlifters, we don't make a lot of money. There are so few cash meets out there. You know, how are you going to make a living like this? And, you know, after three years of trying to better my venue, better my competitions, the cash payouts is really where it has come to. And the pro division is how we're going to do that. So from a sustainability perspective, yes, it is very hard. It is very unique to my experience. I don't expect anybody else to be undertaking this type of effort. But I'm not going anywhere anytime soon because I absolutely love what I'm doing. Yeah, well, yeah, that answers it because I mean, like, I I wonder because like I don't know how closely you followed um, or you know much about the meet I ran that actually Angelo did with the Midwest Prime Time. But I mean, just to put on a simple meet with hopeful, hopefully better than most local meets, it's tough. Like, it, it's really really hard to make money. So obviously, we greatly appreciate what you do, um, and I don't think you're gonna have any issue continue being reelected as a Virginia State Chair when when you're putting out the meets that you are. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll throw out one thing real quick. It's even a simple thing um, that most people probably overlook. Um, I actually had two lifters just do your Virginia State Open Meet that I coach. Um, the PDF you send out with instructions is amazing. It's like a 15-page document with parking instructions, with every detail of weigh-ins and lifting times and USAPL rules and this professional PDF ebook. It's incredible. Like, no lifter should ever have any questions on meet day, what's expected and what they should do because you cover everything in it. Yeah. One of the things that I try to do is really, you know, coming up through the ranks, I would just mentally take note of everything that I thought was good and everything that I thought was bad. You know, the times that I was going to a meet where I had not heard a single word from the meet director, I didn't know what was going on. If it had been canceled or anything like that. So a typical Virginia competition tries to include everything that I would want as a lifter. And more importantly, you know, this is from my Marine heritage. You know, eventually a Marine just takes a bullet in the head and you need to be able to pass on the mission. So that means everything must be documented in the lowest common denominator language so that anyone can pick it up and carry on the mission. From a meat perspective, I try to um, sanction all of my meats before the end of the year. So that, it, like for the 2020 year, I will have you know eight to 12 meets sanctioned before Christmas 2021, so that lifters can register in. And when they register, I start communicating with them with logistics documents that try to answer every question a lifter may have. And you know, I run everything from state championships where pros show up to uh, novice opens where lifters have never competed before. You know, and we, you know, we don't enforce the clock. We slow things down. We talk to the lifters. We're shocked when they're wearing things like matching socks and things like that. But I communicate probably too much, sending out constant uh, explanations of, hey, for this meet, 
We are still going to require masks to be worn by all lifters. Here is the uh, the schedule. Here is the flight order. Here's the parking information. Here's the hotel information. So that when the meet actually shows up, all the lifters walking in, if they read the emails, will, won't have any questions. They'll know what's expected of them, and the meet will run smoothly. And that's just, you know, like I said, I'm an anal perfectionist. Looking at every aspect of a meet to make sure that it runs as efficiently as possible so that, you know, like a morning session starts at 9, ends at 1.30 every single time. Uh, the afternoon session starts at about 2, something like that, and finishes at 5.30 every single time. And if it doesn't, if something happens, because usually something always happens, you know, have a redundant system in place, have a redundant procedure in place so that you can immediately cut over to it uh, so it doesn't delay the experience, so it doesn't ruin the experience, so it doesn't delay the competition. But yeah, it's it's just my passion about ensuring that I try to please everybody. And here's a statement that I make pretty much at every competition. Where I'll walk up to a group of lifters and I'll, I'll kind of like pat myself on the back a little bit. Where I'll say, all right, look, everybody, I want some open communications. I don't want to know that this is the best meet that you've ever been at because I already know that. And I'm, you know, not, again, not trying to be boastful or anything. But uh, then I say... I only care about your negative comments. I want to know anything that you saw that could make the meat better, that could make the meat run smoother, that could improve the experience. Because while I'll try to implement three new things, a lot of these quote, quote, new things were ideas brought on by uh, the lifting population. For example, Al Matagreno, he's competing at Raw Nationals. He's a national level referee. A uh, good friend of mine, fantastic referee. Uh, I've given him free meets for life. He'll always give me one or two pointers about, hey, you know what? We needed some more uh, kilo plates and warm-up. Or we needed some more racks. Or we needed some better lighting. Or we needed this. I turn around and implement those things. Matt Gary and Susie Hartwig Gary, when they were here, you know, they would always drop little pointers about, hey, implement this, implement that. And I feed on that information because at the end of the day, when I have lifters come up to me and say, that was the best experience I have ever had, uh, the fathers of youth lifters that, you know, come up, shake my hand or fist bump or whatever, to say that, you know, my daughters or my sons are completely hooked. It was a better experience than Disneyland. You know, that's my satisfaction for putting so much time into running these events. Yeah, so how about recently, uh, as far as the meets you just had, is there anything that's been suggested that you fix upon, you know, the recent meets? Because still, they're fantastic meets, but uh, has there been anything that you're trying to work on still? Um, not still. Because I ran so many meets, a lot of the bugs really, you know, resolved. Like, for example, lifting cast. Mm -hmm. You know, I divorced myself from left from Next Lifter, you know, many years ago, simply because I can't handle, like, very, very large meets. And Mike Sampson created this fantastic application, but you need to be able to use it right. We implemented it a couple times. You know, it's a cloud-based service, and it worked well, but with a shoddy internet connection, you know, the delay on the lights was just unacceptable. All referees would implement uh, their calls or, or submit their calls, and we might wait 20 to 30 seconds for the lights to appear. And that isn't us. That's, that's the lifter waiting to turn in his or her next attempt without knowing that the uh, previous lift was good lift or not. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. All right, so I contacted Mike Sampson and figured out they, you know, he created a relay server or a relay station, you know, like name, Freeze It Nationals. It was an on-premise lifting cast server that you could implement at a, at a local meet at a, at a laptop, per se. That's what I implemented. And I took it one step further for the larger meets where I, I do a little bit of my own coding. Uh, I wrote a, um, a synchronous application where now I have two relay stations running on each platform that are working synch- synchronously across the two. The uh, referee tablets where they have the, you know, the scoring uh, web page on, as soon as that third referee hits the light, it's instant and immediately shows up on the screen. There is never a delay. So trying to ensure that scoring is instantaneous across all actions, you know, something I took on myself because while lifting cast is a fantastic system, I thought I could make it better for, you know, at least for the Virginia competitions. You, mm-hmm. you do have to know a lot about networking and virtualization to get something like that working. And right now I'm the only one that really got a solution like this working. But, you know, that was pretty much the last hurdle for me to get over. You know, I've implemented the lights, the theater, sound, video walls, trained the referees, trained the spotter loaders, trained the scoring, uh, the scorers. But, you know, getting that scoring system working rock solid uh, was pretty much the last thing that I have – really attempted to achieve. And after that is when Jason Albrecht, one of the uh, co-owners of the shop gym came to me. They do a lot of work in the bodybuilding and the fitness arenas where, you know, the money is a lot more, but they have a professional division. So he came up to me and it's like, look, we're kind of struggling to come up with what are we going to do next? And that's where we got in the pro division ranks where everything else that we've tried I'll hesitate to say we've somewhat mastered it where the last three competitions went off without a hitch. And that means there were no delays in weigh-ins. You know, we have four scales available for lifters, things like that, multiple scales. The scoring was absolutely immediate. The ward started 30 seconds after the last deadlift hits the floor. And we finished each session ahead of schedule every time. And that's where we said, all right, well, what are we going to do next? And since we've already bought most of this equipment, it's no longer, you know, I'm not short on tablets. I'm not short on racks or plates or bars or anything like that. That's already in storage. It's already in the trailer. What are we going to do next? Mm -hmm. And that's when we came up with the idea of offering a professional division at every competition so that lifters could enter that division and win cash. No weight classes, no age groups, not even gender separation. We've got the best of the best at every meet competing for, you know, the set of cash prizes. You will have a true best lifter at every meet in the pro division. And what we did was, and I sent you this business plan, but the concept is this. Offer a separate pro division at every meet. And the top five lifters in that pro division, and remember, no age groups, no weight classes, no gender separation. You know, Samantha Calhoun can can uh, battle against Ashton Rushka and Connor Brooker all in the same competition. And uh, IPFGL formula to score them. But the top five lifters from every competition then get an invite to the Pro Open, which is now going to go in December of every year. 
And this year, we've only got a $25,000 cash prize. <laughs> That's because it's coming out of my wallet, and it's all I can afford right now. But <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to get out and hopefully get some sponsors because, you know, as you've seen, we've got a lot of interest. You know, we're not we're definitely not bigger than Raw Nationals at this point, but we've got a huge following. The winner record this year has 250 lifters in it. I have to hope that 25 drop out due to injury or else I can't fit them in two days. And I will not do three, uh, three sessions a day. I will not go to 11 o'clock at night. I just don't do that kind of meat. But the pro division is now a feeder into the pro open. And the pro open this year, what I am trying to do, and I think this would just be absolutely freaking mind-blowing, is after Raw Nationals this year, uh, contact every top lifter. And it's like, congratulations on you know winning Raw Nationals, replacing second or third. I'm inviting you to the Virginia Pro Open. And you've got a chance to win $10,000 as a first place cash prize, at least right now. Second place, $7,500. Third place, $5,000. Fourth place, $2,500. Fifth, sixth, seventh, you know, like $1,000 each. But seriously, it's serious cash. Serious enough where they're probably going to have to contact the IRS because, you know, that's a lot of cash being handed over. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to run afoul of the government. But, you know, one of my problems with nationals was that it was just a medal. That was it. You know, give me a T-shirt or something like that. It was just a medal. And yes, the, the, the benefit, the praise of, you know, like winning your division at, at nationals is great. But, you know, I still got to drive home. I'm still driving that, you know, beat up 1979 Civic or something like that. Uh, now, those best lifters are going to be able to walk out with some serious cash in hand. And one thing that I like to do uh, that I don't know if any other meets do, but I offer cash in hand during the award ceremony where, you know, if Ashton winning, wins it, if Daniela wins it, I'd love to get Amanda Lawrence out here. But whoever walks away with top prize at the Virginia uh, Pro Open in December is going to walk away with $10,000 in cash. It's going to be a whole stack of $100 bills. But every time I do cash awards, it's cash only. None of these bullshit checks or I'm going to have to PayPal it to you or anything. No, just no way. Uh-uh. Lifters want immediate recognition for their efforts. And that means cash in hand. When they walk off the stage after holding that big paper check up saying, I won $10,000, you walk down and you see me and I hand you $10,000. I take the check back because they're going to want to use it next year. I won't put a date on it. But still. They're walking out with like, you know, a down payment on a car or, you know, a couple payments on your mortgage or your rent or I'm going to pay for my kid's school or, or we're going to take a vacation. You can't do that at other competitions. You know, maybe the Arnold, but, you know, it's I've, I've I competed at the Arnold twice. I've got, it was fun. But still, the cash, the cash is only given to like a couple people. Mm -hmm. And I've always hated that at at Virginia State Championships, which I just finished, I passed out $22,000 in cash. And each open division, I didn't go to the subordinate divisions, but each open division, first, second, and third, took home cash. It was anywhere from $1,000 for first place down to $600 for first place because it was, it was based upon the size of each division. 
the best lifters took home a thousand dollars and I made some custom uh, best lifter trophies, but they left with that money cash in hand. And, you know, when I do the math, one out of four lifters from that meet walked out with cash. Or if you look at the Arnold and whoever does cash meets around here, now you got 80 lifters and what, maybe three or five people walked out with cash. And I realized that, you know, this is a unique position for me to be in. But my goal is to give everything that I can to the lifters and create some of the most epic meets possible. This year will be, you know, the champions will be crowned at Raw Nationals and, and Open Nationals and Bench Nationals and Mas uh, Masters Nationals, you know, next week in Florida. Mm -hmm. And then I want every one of those top lifters to come out to Virginia and, you know, battle for the chance to walk away with some serious cash. If I have a windfall of money or anything like that or, you know, whatever happens, more sponsors or whatever, if I get up at the 30000 to 40000 to 50000 I will absolutely do it. And that's just the way that I'm giving back. So, so – a question leading from that um, that I've been kind of wondering about because I've had rumblings from my own lifters um, of interest in this pro open is I know you have the qualifying meet in October, correct? Well, actually, I rolled it out mid-year, so it's not as smooth as I would like it to be. But what we're doing is we're having a pro qualifier in October, and that is pretty much only for lifters that want to qualify for the pro open. But for every other competition that we're throwing, like I'm throwing a battle at the beach in Virginia beach in two weeks, we have a pro division there. Um, at the novice open, we have a pro division there at the winter record. We have a pro division there and the top five lifters or maybe top 10 from each of those competitions in the pro division as well will then get an invite to the pro open. So it's not a closed door uh, situation at all. Lifters simply need to choose to add the pro division to their entry at any meet. And the pro qualifier is still wide open. We've got plenty of seats available for anyone that wants to get in. The cost of the division is the same as regular meet entry. You can enter only the pro division. You know, you'll walk away. If you place top five, you'll walk away with cash at that meet. And then you qualify for the pro open. So we've made it as open as possible. But the plan for next year is pretty much what we're doing this year. Every meet will have an optional professional division to enter. And any lifter that wants to enter it can enter it. That's it. Top five get invited to the pro open at the end of the year. Uh, and then we'll see who walks away with a handful of cash. So leading from that, um, with the invites, I know you said you're going to message people from Raw Nationals. Were there people that you were planning to maybe give automatic invites to, or is everyone going to be required to do that October meet? Or maybe that people, if they place top three at Nationals, get an automatic qualifier to a pro, the Pro Open from that? All right, and that's really where I was leaning because, you know, lifters out in California, even though I often get California lifters at my meets in Florida and you know, Washington all that, Lifters that qualify top three at Raw Nationals um, can get an invite to the Pro Open, uh, regardless of division, simply because the Pro Open is designed, the intent is to get the best lifters from across the country battling on the same stage. I mean, think about this. It just blows your mind. You've got the champions that are going to walk away from Raw Nationals. 
know what, 16 of them, uh, a champion in each class in each of the eight male and female weight divisions. You know, and that's great. And everybody's, you know, everyone's got their own championship medal. But who's the true champion? When have you seen a competition that, that puts the best women against the best men shooting it out for top prize? That's what this pro open is going to be. There are no divisions. There are no age groups. There are no weight classes. Everyone comes in, competes in the professional division, and the top five walk away with cash. And at the end of the year, you will truly know who is the national champion. Now, if we can get those top lifters from nationals, along with everyone else in the mid-Atlantic region that qualifies for it. It's the IPF GL formula. You know, it fairly, uh, you know, tracks or fairly competes age groups against age groups or at least weight classes against weight classes and, and male against female. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to try to invite the winners of the Raw Nationals. Uh, um, possibly, I don't know if I can do this, you know, pay their way out. Uh, really do whatever I can to get the best lifters from across the country to come here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we grow larger than that in subsequent years, then so be it. Yes, I was wondering, is the growth of this, has there been any ideas of expanding this uh, to, like, because right now it's within the state, but through a national format. Uh, we've had episodes before uh, talking about professional, uh, possibly the USAPL developing a pro league where it, it's a pro division, but it's, you know, it's not just secluded in one state. It's it's a national-based organization, much like Major League Baseball or the NFL or National Basketball Association. Correct. And uh, I sent you the Virginia Pro Division business plan as an example, but I also forwarded that to the USA Paralympic National Office uh, for really two reasons. One, because they're exponentially you know, more knowledgeable than I am to see if I missed something or whatever, uh, but also to really plant the seed to see if we could get this implemented throughout the country. Because the problem is that powerlifters don't make any money. You know, it costs a huge investment of time and energy to train to become the best. But you never make anything out of it. But if we started having pro divisions offered throughout the country, even if it was only at a state championship or something like that, where lifters could look forward to walking out with cash, you know, even if it was just gas money to drive home, that's something. You know, that's something better than just a medal. So I did forward my business plan up to the national office, hoping that they will circulate this through the NGB that's going on at, at nationals next week. I won't be there because I got too many meets to plan. But the idea, the hope is to have like regional championships. Perhaps that you know, Virgi- the Virginia Pro Open becomes a regional Pro Open. And, you know, the Northeast, the... Uh, the Northwest, the Southwest, all have their own pro opens that award cash. And really, maybe that is the qualifier to get to the Arnold where a larger cash prize uh, is paid out, even though I don't know if that's going to happen because I always you know, stem to try to get the, the biggest cash payouts countrywide, but that's just me. But the idea is to see this adopted nationally so that lifters can really get something more than just a dorky little medal. 
Yeah, I think a lot of lifters are going to really appreciate that because I think it's being echoed a lot in the USAPL is that a professional uh, division or a league will be the possibly the pinnacle and also with that mainstream push that powerlifters really want. On Two My Lives, we discuss a lot how to get powerlifting more mainstream, and the way to do that is something that you're describing. Develop a pro league where people can get paid, get more lifters into the sport, and also you have the production value already there with your meets as far as a spectator goes. So I think we're uh, we're well on our way. And you came on Two White Lights to discuss this, and you're talking about sponsorships. This is one way to kind of spread that word out for those sponsorships is coming on a podcast and having you know our social media team kind of promote this. And once you do that, that's how you get money circulating in the sport is – People see that. People see it's a it's a, it's going to be a beneficial thing for their business, and they're going to want to get involved in it. And I hope so. And one of my one of my failures is that at, at some points in time, I'm kind of antisocial. I focused 110 percent on creating a great competition experience and designing a venue, and I haven't done a really good job in you know talking to sponsors. Every once in a while, I have a vendor contact me. It's like, hey, can I sell T-shirts at your me, I'm like, yeah, great. The cost will be, give me a t-shirt to give the best lifter and that's it. And then I'll go back to, you know, setting up the venue or something like that. But sponsorships would be great. And that was really one of the reasons why we adopted the video walls because we're putting those sponsorship messages, those commercials up on the screen. You know, right now we're just advertising for the local businesses in the area. But, you know, if we could get like SBDs or anybody to come in and say, hey, we're going to throw a couple thousand dollars into this pot. Just put our video up on the screen during breaks or between lifters. Absolutely. That is what our, our venue is really designed for. It's not single threaded. Uh, we can adopt anyone's marketing strategy, anyone's messaging at any point in time. And, you know, one thing that we implemented this year due to COVID, COVID slowed us down, but it didn't shut us down. We were really beginning to expand right when COVID hit and the spectator entry fees, you know, whether they're 10, 20, 30, $40, whatever, that was a large revenue stream. I spend a whole lot of money, uh, you know, building the venue, buying the equipment. Uh, and I partnered with the shop gym crew. They take all the spectator fees and, um, you know, they buy the video walls. They do all of that work. And we work together, you know, greatly as a team. But COVID kind of, you know, shut that down for a while. So what we did was we implemented pay-per-view. We took our live streams that we were perfecting over the course of the last two years, multiple camera angles, you know, announcers, uh, green screens, multiple camera views, different angles, all that kind of stuff. And we implemented a, a, a pay-per-view to get some type of revenue from the lack of spectators. And that really, you know, expanded we've had thousands of people watching these pay-per-views so it's a really good market for you know any of the sponsors to come in any of the equipment providers or supplement providers you want to come in and add something to make these competitions better you know we've got a great platform for you to advertise on because you know it's, it's bought we don't rent any of our equipment we buy it so it's going to be there at every competition that we can actually truck it to that's it. Very good there. Have um, As far as the live stream goes how, and that pay-per-view, what was the feedback that you received from that, um, from the last meet? Because I do recall the uh, live stream having a pay-per-view last time. Yes, it did have a pay-per-view last time. 
like everything, it takes two or three times to practice to get it right. The first time we did a pay-per-view, we had connection issues. The second time, we had registration issues, learning experiences. And at the last meet, I think we overcharged for the pay-per-view. We're going to drop that price considerably. But um, we had a pretty good uh, stream. Uh, both days were sent out. I don't know the exact um, lifter count or excuse me, spectator count, but we had a lot of people that were still concerned about COVID that, you know, didn't necessarily want to come in to watch it in person. We still had a spectator limit because in Northern Virginia, where that meet went, we still have COVID restrictions in place. So lifters were able to bring in one spectator, one uh, coach. And if you compare that to the winter record 2018, when my wife showed up about two hours after the meet started and she was bitching at me because she had to park half a mile away because we had over 600 spectators at least in the building watching this meet. At one point during the break, one of the shop gym guys comes up to me and says, Saber, you got to come look at this. It's raining upstairs. So I walk upstairs into their posing room because, like I said, it's a bodybuilding and a, and a fitness gym. They like looking in the mirrors. It was raining, you know inside this room there was an inch of water on the floor it was october the place was packed um wall to wall people were standing on top of the the leg press machines the cable crossover people were everywhere um it was huge and that was two years ago the live streams and the pay-per-views replaced that ability for people to experience this meet uh live they you know could watch it along with netflix at their home but we did put some, some real effort into it, making sure that the content that we were displaying was relevant. People weren't getting bored during breaks and things like that. Doing the uh, immediate live replays or the instant replays for all the lifts on the, uh, the video walls and on the live streams where you could see it live. And then immediately after that, you'd see it in instant replay in a close-up shot so that you could see, like, hey, why did the referees give a red light on that squat? Well, just watch the instant replay where mm-hmm. we zoomed in on the hip, and now you'll see that they were a little bit too high, and all the referees called them on it. Like you said, the referees at my meets are strict but absolutely fair. You know, if the bar is motionless on the chest, you get that quick press command. If you just break parallel, you get that, uh, that white light for the squat. It's not over restrictive. We're not looking for ass on or uh, ass to grass squats. If you don't walk away from your squat with chalk over both butt cheeks, you know that isn't required. The deadlifts just stand up straight. The benches just pause it. Keep it motionless at the chest. You get the press command. But all of those things we try to enhance for the live stream spectators because they're as much of a customer to us as the lifters are. Mm-hmm. So providing them explanation, providing them, you know, an explanation of, hey, what is this coach doing walking up to that center table in the arena? And the announcer would, you know, get on there looking at the chat and say, well, this is a jury. You know, at a state level meet, you can set American level, American level records. And the jury is the table of national or IPF referees that handles all complaints or things like that. So we tried to provide a lot of quality interesting content for the live stream. Um, and you know, that's why we really made it a pay-per-view 
hopefully at some point, you know, we'll be able to uh, back that off maybe. I don't know if we'll ever get there from a COVID perspective or a capacity perspective because we'll get thousands of people, you know, wanting to see this content. People from across the country want to see this. Meet directors, state chairs will want to see this, not for, you know, the lifting, but for the, the quality of production. And this is where, you know, I've got the time, I've got the, the anal retentiveness to really look in and, you know, really examine every aspect of the product that we are providing to both spectators and, of course, the lifters and making sure every aspect of it is the absolute best that I can do. And for every meet, we learn something, uh, we implement something new, we make it stronger, we make it more resilient we up the bandwidth, we up the resolution, you know, all those things, because it's a constant evolution to give a better experience. So a, cause I've watched the winter record live stream. Um, I paid for the pay-per-view um, for the Virginia state open as I had a couple lifters. I definitely wanted to watch cause I coached them. Um, something we've talked about on two white lights is the viewability of powerlifting as a spectator sport. Um, and it's kind of a critique and recommendation I have, but I think, the answer is going to be completely fixed by this pro division at all meets. And then the pro open is the fact of the matter is, is pretty much all mainstream sports last about three to four hours. That's, that's the extent of it. They last three to four hours. That's about the attention span people can have. And um, I know like when I watched the winter record last year, it was a great meet, but we had a lot of the top tier lifters kind of spread out. So it was going to, it was going to be an all day viewing event if I wanted to watch them versus because you kind of have two people who, who, who tune in for these live streams. You have people that know a lifter personally, so they want to watch it. And then you have people that maybe are not connected to the meet, but are around the country wanting to tune in to see Ashton and Sam, um, to be able to see all these lifters. And I know something a, a lot of meets been doing lately is pooling all these lifters into one flight. So it truly is a three hour spectator viewability aspect where I can spend three hours, watch all the best lifters at one time, and then go back to my normal day. Okay, good point. This discussion, or this I'm going to get started with Chuck back two years ago. And he said, can you support a primetime division? So all the best lifters will lift at, you know, 7 p.m. at night or 2 o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. And really that answers your question where now you're giving the top lifters, you know, the best uh, or, or the top lifters to the audience so that it's only a three hour experience. The problem is my response to him was absolutely no way, you know, to my grave, I will never support a, uh, a primetime division. I have hated it from its inception. I think it discriminates when they do a primetime division nationals. You'll find that some of the top placers are not even included in that primetime division. So, it isn't going to happen. It will never happen in a Virginia competition. No one is discriminated against until they step on that platform. Every lifter is the same. You get the same respect until you get on that platform and you get your medal. But to your point, and I can't ignore this, you know, the typical viewer, the grandmother, the grandfather, the aunt and uncle, they're not going to want to watch eight hours of a powerlifting meet for really nine minutes of excitement for the lifter that they want to see. So what we're starting to do right now, and we looked at this, uh, looked at implementing this for the next big meet, is having the lifting cast flight order on the live stream as well as a clickable, uh, clickable link, so that you can get to it immediately. You'll know when your lifter is up 
because all of our mates are, you know, on lifting caps, so everyone can see the flight order. But more importantly, the, the spectators that we have at our, you know, our monthly meets, at our standard meets, are usually relatives that want to see, you know, little Johnny lift or little Susie lift or something like that. And, you know, we provide that to them. The real meat and potatoes is going to be the pro open. This will not be a 200 lifter meet. I'm going to cap this at um, you know, 28 lifters or 54 lifters on two platforms. It's going to be a single session meet. Um, we might do two platforms. We'll probably do two platforms to keep as, as, as large as possible. But it will be a three to four hour experience. And that's it. We will start at nine. We will end by one. I will have the best referees up there, the best spotter loaders up there. And we're going to live stream everything. At the last meet, what we did was we actually did three live streams. We live streamed the warm-up area so that, you know, parents and spectators, whatever, could see what people were doing to warm up. We live streamed the lifter interviews where we had one of the gorgeous women at the shop, Jim, give lifter interviews, you know, after the completion of their third attempts or things like that. And we live streamed both platforms. So, you know, we're trying to get to a, like a WWE level or an NFL level. It'll take some time, and our team is still quite small. But the goal is to provide a very interactive, immersive experience for the spectators where the content is all top-notch lifters. And that's really what the Pro Open is designed to be. Yeah, I think that'll get through some of the, the live stream issues and actually just help the spectator. Because I think that's the next step. Because you definitely created a meet that's spectator-friendly, that people want to be a part of. Everyone who I've talked to is a part of your meet love the spectator aspect of it. But I think the next step is that live stream, getting it out to powerlifters. Because, let's face it, it's growing. The sport is growing, and that means more fans. Most fans of sports don't get to watch it in the stadium. And they have to watch it on TV or through, you know, a live stream. And I think powerlifting is at that point where there's going to be a huge, there's going to be a huge population of lifters asking for that live stream and want a high quality live stream. And I think if the, if the, uh, if your meat production just in person matches that live stream, uh, powerlifter fans, uh, powerlifter advocates are going to be extremely happy with it. Yep. And as I mentioned, I'm a, a graphic designer by original trade. So a lot of the content uh, that gets put on that or up on the video walls is self-created. And I'm trying to get, you know, a more immersive uh, environment. The problem is, and again, no disrespect for anyone, but when the national office brings in, you know, the live stream team, you've got paid professionals performing this service. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got, you know, they have hundreds of volunteers, forklifts. Oh, my God, if I had a forklift, uh, you know, performing all of this work to make nationals run without a hitch. I'm using, you know, gym interns that know how to push a bucket around uh, and trying to train them to provide interactive content for live streams. It's challenging. Mm-hmm. And having someone that can really operate a camera correctly is challenging. So yes, we are absolutely invested in the live stream experience. Uh, when we first started rolling this out, it was during COVID, so we probably had the prices too high. We're going to ratchet this down considerably so that a live stream for any big meet is is nineteen, you know, ninety nine, something like that. 
Uh, and the entry is like the same thing. So with uh, more spectators coming, we can ratchet the prices down and still be able to you know, afford the next round of cameras or pay for that service again. Uh, but we are absolutely invested in ensuring that the live stream experience is as good or better than the actual spectator experience. Because, you know, just for example, buying a whole bunch of 4K or 8K cameras so that when we zoom in on that quad, you can absolutely see beyond a shower of doubt that they hit depth. And that's only one angle. We might have three shots of the same lifter up on the screen at the same time, showing them, you know, the, the vertical movement, showing the feet, showing the hips, all of that stuff so that the, the, the live stream viewer can really get a better experience than the in-person viewer because they can see the lift, they can see their instant replay on the, uh, the video wall, but the live stream viewer can back it up and forward it, and, you know, all of that to see the lift again and again and again. And we're really trying to fill in all of that downtime, like between lifts, uh, during breaks with, you know, com relevant commercials, relevant content. What I did at the first competition was during the breaks, I had contacted all the powerlifting coaches in the mid-Atlantic area. And I, you know, collected a couple pictures of each of them and their bios. And I shot up on the video walls, you know, 16 feet high, uh, their, basically their business cards where, you know, spectators, lifters, uh, parents, uh, here are the relevant uh, powerlifting coaches in the area. So it wasn't just dead space. You know, I had Matt and Susie up there. What better, you know, congratulatory uh, does a meet director get when Matt and Susie, you know, give you their contact information to display up on your wall. And, you know, they made money off of this and I didn't charge anything for it. Uh, just giving, giving the lifters and the spectators relevant content during the entire event. And, you know, the first thing a novice lifter is going to want is a coach because they don't know what it takes to really compete at this level. But, you know, going forward, you know, we're hoping to get equipment vendors out there uh, to help us out. You know, other gyms, other venues, even other federations. We're not we're not closed off. It's one team. You know, supporting the powerlifting community, not just the drug tested. You know, we I uh, we've got people going out supporting the USPF or the USPC, whatever they want to call it now, performing those meets because you know I service the drug tested crew. Well, we have a lot of lifters that aren't drug tested. Well, they want to compete too. Mm -hmm. So it isn't just a, no, my way or the highway. Help the other federations out so they can cater to those customers that I can't touch. But all of that is being wrapped up into the overall experience where between breaks, you know, we're showing uh, spectator content that are lifter bios or equipment vendors or all of that. We're we're looking at some of the best live streams that go on in you know, the NFL, uh, the NCAA, things like that. And we're just duplicating or trying to come up with something just as good. Yeah, I'm very excited to see that. And I think from a, from a social media uh, perspective, um, if you need Two White Lights help to really get that message out there and kind of create that hype and build up for a meet, um, let us know and we'll get that done for you. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, like I said, I'm sometimes fairly antisocial. The only podcast that I ever listened to was you guys one other time. 
to figure out what you guys were actually doing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm now at the point where to keep this sustainable, I have to get it out to a bigger audience. And that means really partnering with industry to get their message up on our screen so that our lifters uh, know what's going on. Like one thing that I do that I found the most lucrative from a membership perspective, from three novice opens a year, those novice meets are restricted to only first or second time competitors. Mm -hmm. And at first the interest was pretty large. Now it is off the charts. My next novice open is got 112 lifters in it with a 42 lifter wait list to get into it. And these are all first time competitors for all the first, usually for the first time competitors that call me, they have these crazy questions. I get on phone calls with them and I'll talk an hour to each novice lifter answering all of their questions. This is the market that, you know, major equipment vendors or supplement vendors or whoever want to get to. Mm-hmm. It's this expanding membership, these first-time competitors that don't own a belt, that don't own wrist wraps, that don't know what a good diet is. We're bringing these, you know, prime customers to a stage, you know, that that really can be exploited. And I don't want to say that in a negative way, but you know, when a lifter is lifting, when looking for a belt, you know, it's best if they contact me to find out what's. Uh, being used and you know belts i've always loved inzer belts for wrist straps i've always loved sbd same with knee sleeves and that's who i point them to but the problem is too many times lifters will show up to a competition novice lifters will show up to a competition where they bought all their stuff on amazon and now they've got a padded belt that i have to tell them as they're walking onto the platform that they can't use that belt and, you know, it breaks my heart, but, you know, you talk about the, the logistics documents that I send out. I send out all the equipment rules, just people don't read them. You know, I've been using this belt for 10 years. I want to use this belt in a, in a competition. Well, the USA Powerlifting Federation does have some fairly strict equipment rules. No padded belts, no six meter knee sleeves, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So getting these, uh, these equipment vendors, you know, down to our level, really pushing their gear so that they buy, you know, quality equipment on their first go around is really one of the goals of the novice opens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was one of those lifters who went to a first meet with a padded belt. So thank God the meet director told me to change it. Uh, I used my friend's belt, but that was good. But uh, uh, Steve, any uh, closing thoughts? No, I mean, this was really, I mean, obviously we knew what you were doing has been incredible. Um, it, it's been awesome to hear a lot more, detailed into us. And honestly, I think this is going to be huge to get this out. Um, because I know we've got some people from some larger vendors that listen to this podcast. We've got people from USAPL that listen to this podcast and really just hearing the background of this. And like I said, how, the first question, how sustainable this is. And that, that's a big part of this is this is actually a sustainable practice that can continue to grow, um, and, and boost the sport and take it to new levels. So I'm just, I'm just really excited for what everyone's you all are doing up there. Um, and like Angelo said, um, you, you listen to one of our podcasts, but we, we tend to like, I mean, if we've got big meets, we'd love to do preview and recap shows to really kind of drive hype and attention to them. Um, and so we'd love to be able to kind of partner with you in that aspect of being able to do these preview shows, to be able to give some breakdowns, analysis of, of the lifters that are going to be there to, to increase viewership and attention to it so that you get the, the due recognition for all the hard work you're doing. Cool. All right. Well, 
that's going to do it. Thank you again for coming on Two White Lights. Uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime if there's any other developments with this uh, pro meet or any other meet because I think a lot of listeners of Two White Lights are going to really appreciate what you have to say. Uh, a lot of people who listen to the show are also um, their future meet directors. They're people who want to open their own gyms or people who want to get a larger role in the Federation. So I think this episode is kind of like the gold standard of what a meet director should do or who to possibly emulate if you are wanting to be uh, within the USAPL or a meet director. Yep. And just as a, some closing points, nothing that I do is proprietary or you know owned by me. Everything that I have done from the designs, from the graphics, from the step-by-step procedures, I share to whoever asks for it because this isn't about padding my ego. It's about expanding the sport of powerlifting. And if I see you know, tremendous growth in my membership and entrance to meets, well, then other uh, states can do the same. They don't have to do it the exact same way. But just my lessons learned, you know, this is what you absolutely have to avoid when doing you know, lifting casts. This is, what, this is a step that is absolutely critical when registering lifters, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of knowledge within the, uh, the Federation, but there's not a lot of spectacle. And really, that's what I brought to uh, the meat director community. But while it's been you know, somewhat expensive, the lessons learned are shared with anyone that wants to know uh, because it would be fantastic to see local level meets or even just the state championships across the country be something that the lifters will always remember. And what, what kills me is when I see like lifter profiles on Instagram and Facebook, and it was a picture they took at one of my meets where, you know, there is no better pat in the back saying, you know, great job. But in closing, I do want to thank one person that I have not mentioned yet. And that is absolutely Joanne Craig. That, that lady is beyond knowledgeable is a, you know, she's that, that grammar school teacher with the yardstick made of, you know, birch wood that just loved to smack it when you screw up. But she has mentored me over the last three years, um, really picked me apart for what I was doing wrong and, you know, congratulated me for what I was doing great. She came to the state championships last meet and it was fantastic because there wasn't any negative comments. It was, everything was fantastic, but without her help, I would have never gotten to where I am today. You know, I've already talked about the shop gym crew. We've had a really great relationship, you know, building these epic meets. But, you know, right now it is sustainable. We are going to improve this pro division. I think we're going to blow the doors off uh, for the pro open in December. It's going to be absolutely drop dead fantastic. Uh, And I greatly appreciate the opportunity to come on here and talk about what I'm doing. No problem. I'm excited to see it. And, uh, yeah, in December I'll – We'll definitely be keeping tabs on that competition. Cool. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you for coming on. Uh, That will do it for Two White Lights. We see you guys next week. Peace.